The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey y'all, it's Taryn here, co-host of the Post Bougie Podcast. I am still <laughs> trying to get my life together in Detroit, but don't fear bays because GD has something in store for you. He sat down with Jalen Coates, a DJ and writer out of LA, to talk about the massively successful and fittingly controversial NWA biopic straight out of Compton. Now, this is going to be interesting for two reasons. The first is that, you know, Jalen is a DJ, so Jalen provides awesome insight on music in LA. That's one thing. The other is that GD is notorious for his strong feelings about biopics. So sit back, relax. We hope you dig it. Peace. I was a little bit surprised actually by how much I enjoyed the film and I was kind of like willing to surrender some of that to just like nostalgia um because you know watching watching like basically my childhood kind of crushes my like musical crushes come to light was very like emotionally moving um how old were you at the you know at peak NWA uh, like you know between like 88 91 I mean, peak peak NWA. I was I was still in diapers. Um, <laughs> I definitely came to them, you know, a little bit later, like mm-hmm. around the same time that I was listening to like Tupac and so like preschool. <laughs> but but yeah, no. I mean, it was like middle school years, which I feel like is kind of like prime time for just right. getting into anything controversial. So you're watching this movie and you're having you're all in your feelings, right? Over over the betrayal of the seminal uh, hip-hop group, did you feel like, I have all sorts of issues around biopics, but did you feel like it was too fan service I definitely got the sense that those are the strings that we're trying to pluck in people and try to get that response to sort of like, this is my, this is my shit. Like, I remember specifically the scene where, uh, where Snoop and Dre just magically concoct uh, Ain't Nothing But A G thing, like, on the <laughs> spot. Like, I mean, just, like, chilling. Like, and it's just, like, a freestyle. Like, and completely mm-hmm. with, like, Dre's and, like, sort of jump, like, jumping in and, like, back and forth like all that was just like came out of fully formed out of their heads spontaneously did you feel like and it but clearly in the in the movie theater the point was that you listen to it and you just start rapping along with it um but did you think that was like those scenes were too egregious (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) i mean i definitely felt like the movie was kind of like full of those scenes which is why when i left i was i I guess actually maybe the film did its job because i went into it kind of open minded to like what it could be and then I came out like man I really want to listen to NWA's like whole discography now so so Pac makes a, a brief cameo in this movie um he does as the Snoop and one of the things that happens in this movie is that and this is one of the reasons one of the many reasons I don't like biopics is that someone says the name like everyone gets announced like that doesn't happen in real life I was like oh what's good Pac you in the booth putting down you know and I was like come on what are you doing and a Snoop walks in and there's a dude like Yo, who this fool? It's like, yeah, this nigga from Long Beach named Snoop Dogg. Or, or he's like, what's up, big baby? Like, he's doing the Snoop thing. It's like, oh. Um, and so I hate biopics because there are, there are times where the characters feel like just um, sort of like fountains of exposition pointed right. at each other. And so, like, you know, there's that one scene. I think this is probably going to be the most infamous and most biopicky scene in the whole movie where Ice Cube is sitting at his, like, bulky 1994 uh macbook or whatever or whatever mm-hmm. it's called back then typing you know clack clack clacking away 
and um he's laughing he's like damn you got knocked the fuck out and then he's like yeah it's gonna be real funny and his wife comes in she's in case you don't in case the point is missed she's like hey baby how's friday going and he's like oh i think it's going really well i was like oh they were like Four or five moments like that in the movie that felt so just really weird and inauthentic. And I think one of the things that I actually dug about this movie was that there are some scenes that actually work as sort of good scenes of just like character work, you know, just of like establishing sort of the dynamics between the people. Like one of them um, was the scene in which um, Easy, who is a terrible rapper, Easy is like a, one of the worst rappers ever right um but the scene in which he's in the booth for the first time and they're clowning him that was like a really fun funny scene right because yeah that was great um it's probably my favorite scene in the movie but there's another scene even like i think it was paul giamatti and easy e's character that sort of felt like that and there are a couple scenes with ice cube that the ice cube character played by ice cube's actual real life son that felt like that too where it just felt like this is how actual human beings will talk to each other as opposed to like actual human beings who like know each other and have a like a lived in friendship relationship you know partnership with each other would talk to each other as opposed to you know the way people in biopics talk to each other where they just like hey do you want to hear some trivia about somebody this one point dj yellow says like, one of the first times they see shook night like damn this fool think that now that he's not bobby brown's bodyguard that he can just be a record executive it's like okay so they obviously wanted to put that little biographical information in so you know who mm-hmm. to, like what you're supposed to think about Suge Knight. And so yeah. scenes like that sort of were just really refreshing because biopics don't usually have a lot of um, just like actual scenes where, in which the the characters sort of, who the characters are sort of come through outside of people actually saying who the characters are, you know, and just like us seeing, being shown who they are. But I don't know if you felt that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I definitely like a couple of those scenes, especially the cube one like we were clowning that a little bit when we left the theater because <laughs> like one of my friends was just like yeah that was extremely corny so we got to sort of get into the the conversations around this movie that have been happening over the last week right so you said that none of the which actually surprised me because i know you were like outspoken on this stuff and you talk about this stuff and think about this stuff that none of the stuff about dre uh and his wild sort of reprehensible history with women changed the way you saw the film so even the revelation that you know there was originally apparently in the script there was uh the the d barnes incident in which trey put d barnes the host of a tv tv show on hip-hop um the the, that incident was originally in the script and and trey or someone i shouldn't say trey someone had someone excised it from it that didn't bother you because that didn't that didn't make you sort of feel a little icky or uncomfortable <laughs> i'm sort of loaded. that's the loaded question but <laughs> so no i mean i think like it's difficult like on the one hand i think i could say you know there are ways that the movie could have been better and it's certainly possible to me that one of those ways would have been to find a way i mean even d barnes said you know she didn't necessarily want to see herself like getting beat up on screen but she thought that it shouldn't have been uh completely erased and so like it seems that it's possible that it the movie might have kind of painted a fuller picture and been fair to kind of everyone in these people's lives if that had been included in some way um but at the same time for me i think it says 
you know, because, okay, let's, let's put it like this. It's, I, I didn't leave the theater thinking F. Gary Gray and Dr. Dre are, you know, great people. And I'm, I'm so, I, I'm so kind of pleased that they like told, told this story in this way. I, I, I left the theater thinking, okay, this was, this was a good movie. Like this was a good kind of like movie going experience. I feel like we hold biopics to a certain different standard, a much lower standard, because they're basically book reports. They're basically $35 million book reports. Are you a fan of biopics broadly? I'm agnostic about them. I know that you have strong feelings. <laughs> I sort of, this is a movie um, that's even, like it's, it's a weird movie because there are basically no women in it. You know what I mean? Um, right. Like they live in this world in which, I mean, we see a bunch of party scenes that like they look like MC Hammer's pumps in a bump video, right? Like it's just them uh, at a somebody's crib and a whole bunch of like naked women or nearly naked women dancing around. Even the scene that in which we meet the woman who presumably is going to become Dr. Dre's wife, like that's okay. treated with as sort of momentous in a way. And then like we literally never see her again. So she's he's like, "Damn, baby, can I come in?" And she's like, "No, Dre, your life is messy." And I'm not trying to have you all in my world with your nonsense. Then we see, like, jumping forward, she's just living there. And then the next time we see them, they're, like, clearly, like, a married couple. Like, But she had maybe a couple lines, you know? I think she had five lines. Yeah. Okay, something something that I thought was strange is that even the women who, like, are kind of in the film, who you would expect... Okay, so, for example, Dr. Dre's mother. Mm-hmm. Who, like, we kind of see early on in the film, you know, she's pressuring him, she wants him to stay in school, that kind of thing. She almost completely disappears, and I actually kind of expected for her to have, to, like, come back later. No, 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 no. She was, um, her role was to be like, boy, you acting up. You dragging this family down, I work so hard. She's that, she's that lady. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And then there's this the one of the few times I can remember seeing her again, or maybe the only time that I remember seeing her again, um, was that in the sun's right at the funeral, and it struck me as really, really odd that he left her there. Yeah, right. It was one of those <laughs> things. That's a really good point. He was like, "All right, I got all this money, y'all motherfuckers." Like he, yeah, it's so weird. He like, and it's also shot really strangely because he's like with her, and then we see him walking, and then like he turns a corner, and his boys are there. And they leave together, and they were also there when he like got the news. Is and it's it's very kind of like it is actually at this point, yeah. Because at that point, they're touring the country, right? Presumably, they have some loot. I'm not saying he couldn't have, you know, bought them a mansion, but like clearly, <laughs> he could have. I don't. I don't know. I'm not trying to be in this dude's pockets, but that was a very good point. <laughs> It was very obvious. I mean, you're saying that it's so. That's such a great point. Like, why were they living that life if Dre had money at this point? And of course, as soon as you meet his brother, as soon as you meet him, and he's like, "Boy, stay out of trouble." He's like, <laughs> "I just want to be like you, Dre." I was like, oh, like, this kid's gonna die. Like, I was like, this kid is not gonna make it to the second act of this movie. Um, yeah. Like, it was just so telegraphed. Dre, can I come <laughs> out there? He's like, "Boy, <laughs> you're not ready for this Miami life, but stay out of trouble." Like, come on, you don't say that unless he's finna get in some trouble. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Dre was like, uh, his mom was like, boy, don't you blame yourself. I was like, actually, you know what I mean? Maybe blame him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucked up. That is kind of <laughs> No, no. 
<laughs> I actually don't know if it, it actually really went down like that, but you know what I mean? That it was like, now that you brought that up now, I'm I'm judging Dre even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely judging Dre, especially since, you know, like when you look at the shit that he said about having beat uh D Barnes, like before, you know, yes. yesterday or <laughs> whenever he you know, he, the shit that him and Easy said about it is just like kind of appalling you know what i mean like on record too yeah he was like well she had it coming like i mean it was it was all completely abhorrent shit you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah Hmm. i don't know this movie there's so much going on around this movie like is like more than other biopics and i always feel like sort of black biopics are really passive aggressive and manipulative right because the part of the conversation is invariably about um, whether we should support this movie, you know, like whether, like how we have to support this movie, because if we don't support this movie, they're not going to make good black films, which the logic never holds is always like, no, if we don't, they're only going to make more movies like this if we support this movie, like, you know, whatever. But there's so much going on. I mean, I, I, up until this week, I completely forgot about, remember the casting call, the information about the casting call that went out forever ago about like uh, four women in the movie. And there was like a, a, literally a sliding scale of attractiveness of the black woman they wanted to cast in this movie from A to D, A being they wanted the A women, the most attractive women in the movie to be light-skinned and they were like the D women were supposed to be dark-skinned and overweight and it was just really gross and it leaked and everyone was like, this is disgusting. I completely forgot that was part of the story of this movie too. And so all this stuff is swirling around the movie and I almost can't like, it's almost it's really hard to engage it on its own terms. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like without right. sort of having that stuff seep into it. And I think actually watching the movie like, in the theater, I felt sort of, uh, I had a bunch of feelings about the movie. It was like, oh, this is actually sort of compelling. But once it was over and I got to, like, think about, it, like, what was happening around the movie and, like, the stuff and how the movie got made and the stuff that wasn't just omitted, but just, like, you know, that info- that was got in there in other ways, like the aforementioned casting stuff. Um, it just made, it's like, it's the movie is, like, sort of curdling in my estimation. I don't know if you feel mm-hmm. that way. I definitely think that there are some shitty things about the movie. I mean, including my general stance is like, yes, there are shitty things about the movie and like shitty things about the people who made it. Um, for me, I think the the film itself is kind of its own object that like starts when I, when I enter the theater and like ends when I leave. And that for me is its own experience, its own kind of like movie going, going experience. And then the information that I've learned since, such as the casting call stuff, for me, more colors like the director, for example, as a filmmaker, um, mm-hmm. than it does the film. So I don't know do if that you... makes sense. Maybe I'm like compartmentalizing or whatever. No, how do, I mean, so that was going to be my next question, but how do you part- partition those two things, like the filmmaker from the film itself? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, for me, it's very similar to uh you know the various conversations that happen around like other people whose art or entertainment we consume who are like maybe bad people you know i mean chris brown is comes comes to mind but people who like maybe don't make the best choices and i guess i guess it's kind of difficult to to draw the line or to know how thin that line is between like the choices they make and like how it influences their art or how it shapes there are, I mean, on the one hand, I would have to kind of, I would have to at least be curious about, you know, if a film like this were in the hands of someone who 
um, I might think is a better person <laughs> or someone who makes, <laughs> you know, more maybe like ethical choices or someone who's a little bit more transparent or truer to themselves. <laughs> but, you know, like um, at the same time, I don't, I don't know. So it's difficult. It's difficult, I think, to like judge the film based on, based on like kind of like what we know about the choices they made. I mean, I would almost be interested in a behind the scenes of like the making of the making of Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, like the making of the film. I'm I'm sure that they wouldn't include those conversations where they decide to cut that stuff out. Actually, really. As an aside, I really dug Ice Cube's son's performance. Me too. Ice Cube's son's performance. Um, I have no idea what he will do after this. Like, I mean, maybe there's like a, um, there's like if there's like a Friday sequel, um, with some spindly, high pitched voice comedian, playing uh Smokey, and he plays Ice Cube, and there's like they're just rebooting the Friday series franchise. Because yeah, I can see. I I feel like that's something that could happen for a new generation. Yeah, or also like the eight movies that Ice Cube has where he's like driving somewhere. <laughs> so, if you were like if you're a movie executive and you got to pick a biopic for somebody, a, a rapper from the last twenty five years to like someone's life to be thrown up on the silver screen, who would it be? I mean. From my limited knowledge of her life, Lil Kim would be an interesting, an interesting person. I think that her, I mean, this kind of came out in the Notorious film. I actually completely forgot about the Notorious film until just now. Let's Um, trade lives. (laughs) But. um, (laughs) That movie was so bad. (laughs) I I, kind of liked it, but but that's. Who are you? Who are you, (laughs) Jalen? I mean, I think I did. Yeah, I, I recall kind of liking it. I recall crying a lot. Wow. Uh, <laughs> you are a very it. credulous movie watcher. I need to get I, on your level like this. I mean, I am. But I don't know. I mean, I guess Kim, for me, she, people talk about like her as kind of kind of setting the stage for someone like Nicki Minaj, who's become kind of like a crossover, if you could call it like pop star. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but also she, I don't, I don't know. She, she, she for me was like, when I think of female rappers, I mean, that's, that's the other thing, the roster. I, well, female rappers who kind of like took the rap game by storm, I guess you could say like solo female rappers. Kim Kim also like, (laughs) I don't know, she's. Like when we look at her next to MC Light and Queen Latifah, for example, like she she was totally different. What is it about her life that like makes you makes your antenna twitch? I mean, the thing that kinda I guess part of what made me think of her has just been kind of her very sad kind of fall from Grace. I feel like she's hit a lot of things on the way down. Mm-hmm. Um So if you were doing this biopic, would it be about the sort of post the like the post pinnacle Kim or would it be that's the thing. Like, I, I, I almost feel like that would be, <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, that's obviously not what kind of like biopics are supposed to be about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which on the one hand can make it really interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, her 
it's weird watching her go from this people who I felt like this person people name drop all the time to somebody who is sort of not even a joke. I mean, she is sort of a joke, um, but she's like a D-lister, you know, like um, and she sort of doesn't matter and she's not going to and the chances of her mattering again are not very high, you know, like in a way yeah. that I don't think is true of any of the other people we named. I could totally see. Um, or even, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know who would be great? <laughs> Roxanne Shantae has had the weirdest fucking life. That 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 would be super interesting. Right? Like, I mean, I don't know much about her life since, like, you know, I don't know what she's been up to. Remember she had that whole thing a couple years ago where she pretended that she got a PhD? She said she got a PhD. She told the story, right? Do you remember this? This no. is like four or five years ago. Maybe it's even longer than that. So Roxanne Shantae was going around saying that she had got her gotten her doctorate. And she said she had gotten her doctorate because early on, like in the 80s when she got signed, she said that one of the stipulations of her record contract was that the record company would have to um, pay for her college education, right? Um, and so she was going around saying that was the case. And then... Slate, like, <laughs> they asked for the receipts. Like, Slate called up all the people involved, called up the places she said she got her PhD from, whatever. And they're like, uh, this, this one was never attended the school. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, this is, none of this is true. Um, oh, my God. It was so weird. It was so strange. And so... Why was she... Yeah, was she it was... trying to, like, be, like, a superintendent of, like... <laughs> like, I don't get why you would fabricate <laughs> it was very weird and she was like you know like i grew up and i came up out of the projects and i'm now i'm a i'm a you know a middle class you know i'm not famous anymore but you know and everyone was like praising her for like having for having the savvy even as a kid to like stipulate to have that stipulated in her uh record contract and like it turned out none of that was true it was such a weird story it was so weird and it's like the kind of i feel like that would be really not I don't know how you would tell that story, but if it was like, that was just a weird episode. Like, what is going on? Like, the fact that she had to lie. Like, nobody was, I mean, this is 2000 something, and nobody is checking for Roxanne Shantay, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's no, is there any pop star that you'd want to see a biopic of? B is too, like, sterile and clean and sort of, she's, like, interesting on a bunch of theoretical levels, but probably less it, interesting yeah, as, like, a, as an actual figure, as a personality. I feel like she wouldn't even, like, I don't, her, her, biopic would probably be really actually in a way would be similar to Dre's in the sense of being kind of like uh whitewashed or whatever <laughs> could you it's imagine like... <laughs> the same scene where Dre walks out on Suge Knight but it was like with Matthew Knowles <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you can't leave I'm taking all your she's like I'm going doing something better take, like, it. take it take it all all right that's gonna do it but on behalf of Jalen Coates who you can follow at JV Coates JV C-O-A-T-S This is GD Be easy Our theme music is Nick's Groove by The Foreign Exchange Shout out to our podcast producers Channing Kennedy and John Ketchum Holler at us Follow Post Bougie on Twitter at P-O-S-T-B-O-U-R-G-I-E and like us on Facebook Facebook